Grace, you, and peace from God the Father who heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And from Jesus Christ who takes the guilt that we all bear upon himself and any suffering he turns from meaningless suffering to bearing a burden with faith, giving us purpose as his steward, boldly bearing crosses. And from the Holy Spirit, who supports the afflicted, who calls us from a position of hopelessness to a position of living hope, and doesn't leave us orphaned, but abides by our side and gives us the communion of saints, his holy church. Some of you may know the story of Nahum Saul. He was a young five-year-old boy who on September 11, 2001, was at PS 234 in Manhattan, and as he looked out the classroom window, he saw the events unfold that morning that were indeed traumatic. And as the first World Trade Center was hit, and he witnessed it and the explosion, and later saw people jumping from windows and fire engulfed the building, he was rejoined with his father, as many children were, uh, having been dropped off just moments earlier, uh, and his older brother, and they ran for their lives, shaken, traumatized, and at least arriving home safe for the moment. 24 hours later, Nahum took this piece of paper and started to draw a picture of what he had witnessed the day before. And although it was written in the artistic skills of a five-year-old, there were many elements that could be discerned in that picture. There was the building, there was the plane, uh, there was the plume of smoke, and there were little stick fingers of people jumping from the top of the building. At the bottom, there's a small circle. Well, the picture sat there for several days, and nobody in the house really said much about it until a friend arrived 10 days later, who was a friend of the family and was visiting, and Noam showed him the picture that he had drawn, drawn uh, just a day after it all happened. And the man was looking at the picture, and he said, Noam, what is that circle, that black circle at the bottom of your picture at the bottom of the building? And he said, well, that's a trampoline. And so the man asked him a question. He said, well, Noam, why is there a trampoline there? And Noam said, so the next time when people have to jump, they will be safe. The family friend turned out to be a doctor, a psychiatrist, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, who went on to write a very famous book about trauma, and he also specialized in trauma even at the time. And he wrote about that particular moment in his life and in his clinical experience this way. Noam's experience allows us to see in outline two critical aspects of the adaptive response to threat that is basic to human survival. At the time the disaster occurred, he was able to take an active role by running away from it, thus becoming an agent in his own rescue. 
And once he had reached the safety of home, the alarm bells in his brain and body quieted and freed his mind to take some sense of what had happened and even to imagine a creative alternative to what he had seen in a life-saving trampoline. So in a fallen world, you're going to have events like 9-11 happen, trauma, terrible things. And in some cases, they are persistent, and they go on, and we wait for an end. These could be in our own personal lives. They can be in our relationships. They can be in our family or our family history. They can be in neighborhoods or nations. And sadly, this is the norm and not the exception. In our readings today, you may have picked up on this continuing theme of distress and then support or redemption, and then finally, faithful service after that series of distress and redemption and support. Think about the Psalm and the Old Testament and the Epistle and the Gospel. Psalm 147, verses 2 and 3, The Lord gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. From Isaiah, even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might save some. And finally, this little episode of Jesus healing the mother-in-law of Simon. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a fever. Immediately they told him about her. He came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them all. Distress, support, and redemption, and service. God does not always shield us from this distress, and yet we must remember that he oftentimes does, and we are simply unaware of it. The psalmist wrote, The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. How many times do we know Jerusalem was threatened and many times it was delivered? Certainly there's that epic account in Isaiah when they're surrounded and God miraculously delivers them by striking down 185,000 soldiers in one night. So the Lord does sometimes deliver us, but many times he does not. And we know that Jerusalem was leveled to the ground And later on, even after not being leveled, it was conquered by both the Greeks and the Romans. The cycle of distress and support and then ultimate service, faithful service, is not really readily apparent in the Corinthians passage, but most of you know the backstory. Most of you know the author's story, St. Paul, the Pharisee. And like almost all Pharisees during the ministry of Jesus, he opposed Christians, and he opposed Christ. 
Paul was there, we're told, in Acts chapter 7 when the Pharisees and other Jewish leaders decided that they needed to silence Stephen, the first martyr, and they stoned him. And although Paul was not picking up stones, he was watching the stone thrower's cloaks so they could throw those stones with greater velocity. And they knew that Paul had their backs, or at least had the coat that covered their back. He was complicit in that event. In God's beautiful irony, Saul would become a person who himself would be hunted down by his own colleagues, his Jewish friends. And you may remember at the conversion, there was this man named Ananias who was told by Jesus that you know he had to go and and follow Jesus' command to eventually baptize him. And Ananias had an argument. Not this guy. I know too much about him. And Jesus, who would also say that it wasn't just Saul persecuting the church, but Saul persecuting Jesus. You may remember that account. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Tells us that everything that happens to us, God knows and experiences. Go for he is a chosen instrument of mine, Jesus told Ananias. He will bear my name before Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel, and I will show him how much he will suffer for my name's sake. So Paul, once a violent aggressor, those are his own terms, would now become an instrument of God, and he would be one who would also suffer just as he brought suffering upon others. But Paul, writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, would find new meaning in his own suffering, which came at the hands of many of his former colleagues and friends who were Pharisees and Jews. We cannot underestimate God's ability to change people, and that's really the backstory in 1 Corinthians 9. We didn't think that of all people, Saul, who was actually seeking people out in foreign countries and foreign cities to throw them in jail because they were Christian, nobody ever thought he would be changed. And so as we think about the former traumas and bad relationships we have been at and been through, we want to hold on to this belief that God is never going to be able to change those aggressive people. But we have an example here, and that example is given to us so that we might never lose hope that in spite of efforts after efforts, we would still try to reach out in mercy to people around us. And, you know, we, we don't have just isolated experience about Paul's suffering. We have a lot of stories about Paul suffering over and over again at the hands of his Jewish friends. There's one reference in 2 Corinthians 11 that I find is very telling. Because other than this reference, we don't know any experience about this in Scripture. And it says this, Five times I received 39 lashes from the Jews. Well, good luck if you can find any story other than this singular reference to those five times. I don't think they're there. What does that mean? That means that one of the ways that Paul dealt with his past was he didn't bring it up over and over again. He does mention it here to know that we too are going to suffer. 
Turns out that there are five times he suffered 39 lashes. Some people didn't survive that. Paul would write in this chapter two verses that I think are really important for us to take home. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. That means he had to return to those people who many times were his assaulters because he cared about them. One of the keys to therapy is actually love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Then later on, St. Paul describes why he does what he does and how he does it in verse 23 of the same chapter. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. He did it for the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus, the God-man, comes to earth, dies in my place on the cross, suffers hell there, so I don't have to, and then says, I give it to you for free, and by the way, rises from the dead and say, this is what you get at the end, a resurrected, glorified body. You see, that frame around our life means that we can endure all things knowing that that's how it ends. So he did it all for the gospel's sake, and we can too. So let's return just for a moment to our little five-year-old friend, Noam Saul, and his trampoline. Of course, that boy faced something we would never want to do as a five-year-old or have our child go through. And yet, it happens all over the world. Kids are exposed to trauma. In these situations, everybody wants a trampoline. We want something that will save us in that moment. And I find it interesting that in his artwork, he didn't draw a giant fence around the building with no trauma, no explosions, no jumping people. And so, in other words, he accepted what had happened. This really happened, but he added something. something that would make a difference for the way we deal with the trauma of life. For us, as Christians, we know that Christ is that trampoline, and he's far bigger than that little spot. He's got everything covered, even death. We all want these trampolines, and they come in many different forms, as Christ's kingdom is more than just Christ. It is the body of Christ. We all face certain traumas. Rarely will we face something as traumatic as 9-11. But the one thing that we keep in our mind is that God can make incredible trampolines that will catch people that we never really wanted him to catch. People like Saul, who became St. Paul. And look what he can do. And so when we look back on these relationships in our life, that may be traumatic and may, in fact, be ongoing. We must remember that we are called to be part of that trampoline as the body of Christ. And we must look with the lens of love upon those people who have oftentimes been those who assault us. 
We are able to reframe our difficulties not by making something up, but by truly believing that God is with us and is in the moment even of our own suffering, and he is doing it for a greater purpose, all for the sake of the gospel. So the two ideas that you heard the doctor describe that were important included to take an active role by running away from disaster and thus become an agent in your own rescue. Now we know as Christians, and especially as Lutheran Christians, that Jesus is the singular agent in our delivery. We are not an agent who rescues ourselves. We do not redeem ourselves. Jesus came here to do that. That's why he is called the Redeemer. I paid the bill. I bought you back. I give it to you for free. You receive it. But what do we do with the paid bill? What do we do with the promise that we're baptized into Christ and he is with us and in us and through us? Well, we become stewards. I don't know if you picked up on that word. It's a major theme going into Lent. But... Paul says it in verse 17. For if I do this on my own will, I have a reward. But not about my own will. If not my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. Stewardship means you don't own anything, that God owns it all, including your life. And now you are serving God in all of your circumstances, even in your traumas or your traumatic past. So what do we do with the power of Christ working through us? Well, first of all, we can manage the traumas of our past or present. Sometimes it does mean we escape, like Noam did that day and so many others did. We are called to get out of the situation. You may remember that St. Paul himself was let down in a basket in the city of Damascus right after he had converted He starts preaching the gospel, and in that first week, probably a few days, they decide, this guy is now our enemy. We're going to kill him. The world loves to solve its problems by killing people. We keep having to kill people, don't we? It doesn't seem to solve the problem. Sometimes you do need to escape. And whether or not you're in an abusive situation that you need to save your life, that's part of stewardship, and you actually have to get out of it, then that is completely legitimate and, in fact, good stewardship. Sometimes you have to call upon government authorities, and Paul did that too. What did he do at the end of his life, at the end of the book of Acts? He appealed to Caesar. Sometimes we need to call the police. And sometimes we just need to do what Jesus did, preach the law and the gospel. And so we do that to people who are mean. And you can do it in a variety of ways. You can quote any of the particular Ten Commandments that happen to be broken when you're being abused or maligned and see what they say. They probably will do what they always do, which is refuse to believe the Holy Spirit and those words and they will persist in their bad behavior. But you can also preach and express the love of Christ. I love you and I forgive you. 
even if they don't repent. I do remember that Jesus did that on the cross. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. And many abusers had been abused in their own past and have no freedom, and so they continue to do it. We cannot forget that Paul, at the beginning of this chapter, which is a verse that's not recorded in verse 12, said these words. We endure all things that we may cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. So sometimes we do endure as opposed to escape or calling the police. There is a time when we endure. It's a very difficult, nuanced thing to decide. Paul used a word here that he didn't usually use for endurance. It means to be covered enough, to have protection enough to go on in that circumstance. And I think that's an important qualifier. If you know your life is not at risk, and if you know you have the strength to endure, and if you know that you have someone by your side, and in this case, I'm especially looking at you, the members of Trinity Lutheran Church, to be the church, to walk with people through these burdens, that you have the cover to endure. And so we speak the truth in love, and sometimes we have to tell our accusers to be quiet. Jesus said that in the gospel to the demons. And we have to let them know we're not going to put up with it, we're going to leave the area. And again, all of these come with risk, and this is not an exhaustive treatment of the subject. But we do it all for the sake of the gospel. And that is the key to our stewardship. We live free, even while a slave. That's why Paul said, I can go back and be a Jew to the Jew. And I can do all those things because I'm truly free. I am a free slave, which is what the word bond slave means. We can be in these situations that might be a, a repentant, faithful Christian who's trapped in addiction. You heard that story last week by Pastor Sharp, talking about that man on the street, who he knows is a Christian, but he's addicted to a variety of substances. And yet he faithfully knows in his heart that he is free. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. If you are my disciples, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may win more. The way that we persevere and allow these burdens in life and these painful memories to become trampolines is to remember that ultimately we are free. We are free because we are forgiven. We are free because we are not alone. Jesus is with us and he's given us his church. And we are free because we've got the frame of everlasting life around us. And no matter what we go through, we can do all things for the sake of the gospel. Amen. Now may the peace of God stand guard over our hearts and minds to keep us strong in Christ Jesus. Amen.